Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Kroll, and you're listening to episode 153 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's podcast episode, we're going to be discussing my favorite attraction at Disneyland, which is Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, there are several versions of Pirates of the Caribbean around the world, and I know many of my listeners are focused on the East Coast and perhaps make more trips to Walt Disney World, maybe have never even taken a trip to Disneyland. And so you're probably thinking about the Magic Kingdom version of this attraction. And it's one that I did cover way back in 2018 of Imagineer Podcast. But the Disneyland version, which is the original version of this attraction, was one of Walt's final attractions that he helped to personally oversee and develop. And in my opinion, it is the best version of Pirates of the Caribbean around the world. I haven't been to all of them. I have yet to get to Asia. But of the Pirates of the Caribbean attractions that I have experienced, the Disneyland version is by far my favorite. And we'll talk a little bit in this episode about the history, the details, some of the interesting facts you might not have known about Pirates of the Caribbean. And of course, I'll take you with me for a binaural audio recording where you'll get to virtually ride through the Disneyland version of Pirates of the Caribbean with me. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. what we call New Orleans Square. And here's a picture of it from the riverfront as it will look when it's finally finished. And all these little streets are going to be very intriguing, little shops and things, and people can wander around in there. And then in here, we have a special attraction. We call it the uh, Blue Bayou Lagoon. And people are going to get on a boat here and ride through the lagoon And then as they get around here, we're going to take them down a waterfall and take them back into the past, into the days of the the pirates, you know, where the whole Caribbean area was full of pirates and they were always sacking towns and things. And you believe in pirates, of course. Oh, yes. Oh, you want to see some? Love to. Right over here. We'll meet them. Blaine wants you to meet Julie Green. Hello, Blaine. Julie is uh, Miss uh, Disneyland Tencennial. And I want you to tell her all about what you're doing here. We're working on a full-scale pirate, Julie, and uh, I'd like you to have a look at him here. Quite an angry-looking fellow. Well, he has to be a tough guy. The pirates were pretty tough. This will animate when we have it in the show, you know. He'll talk, and and we'll have all kinds of uh, body movements and things. They carry on a regular little uh, story, you know. Then he'll be audio-animatronic. Audio-animatronic, that's right. She's sharp. She sure is. But before uh, Blaine does the full scale, he works on the uh, on the um, the miniatures, and then we got them right over here. Take a look at some of them. I take uh, this little miniature here is taken first from a sketch. We make these sketches to figure out the types and the characters, and then Blaine takes them and puts them in dimension. Okay. Give me a handsome one. Quite real. Now these sketches here have to do with some of the things that are going to happen when you take this cruise with, through the pirate's uh, uh, domain. Here's one here. Here's a pirate laden with loot. He's trying to escape. He's got one foot on the dock and one foot on a rocky boat. You know, as the people go by, they see him. He's struggling and everything. Good luck to him. <laughs> well, he can't make it. Or the show would go to pieces, you see. He has to stay there all the time and keep trying to get away. Now we'll go around and see the town that the pirates are sacking. It's right over here. Claude, meet Julie Reams. She's Miss Disneyland Tencennial, and Claude is the Imagineer in charge of the pirate project. So will you explain what all this is about? Well, we've been restaging this uh, walking the plank scene, Walt. 
And with the shark circling below, we've got this fellow in a real precarious situation. Feel quite sorry for your victim there. Yes, he's in a bad way. Thanks. I'm going to take Julie through the town. Okay, Mom. Over here, Julie, is the town. This is a Caribbean town at the period, and here are the pirates in here ransacking and and uh, carrying away loot and everything. As you get down here and look through that little ring, you get the view that the audience gets. Now here, you see the pirates are dunking the mayor into the well, trying to force him to reveal the hiding places of the town treasure. The audience will be seeing this from a boat, you know. All the characters will be life-size and lifelike in their movements. These fellows have found the town's rum supplies, but they're actually more interested in what's taking place across the river. Here, their shipmates are auctioning off the town beauties, and there's the biggest bargain of all. That is absolutely fantastic. Well, that's only part of it. You got a big climatic scene. But how could you top it? Well, we set the place on fire. And we have our audience trapped down in this flaming city. Now, how can they get out then? Well, now you got into this mess by going down a waterfall. Now, how would you suppose we could get them out of there? By going up the waterfall? That's right. Anything's possible in Disneyland. Well, For over 55 years, Disneyland guests have enjoyed one of Walt Disney's final attractions, a daring adventure that puts them face to face with a group of rowdy, mischievous pirates. What you heard just a few moments ago was Walt Disney discussing Pirates of the Caribbean with Disneyland ambassador Julie Ream before the ride opened, including a conversation with Imagineers Blaine Gibson and Claude Coates. The Imagineers who designed this attraction might not have known it at the time, but the ride would ultimately become the gold standard for Disney Park attractions, a ride that Imagineers would revisit time and again when creating new experiences at the parks. Opening in the New Orleans Square section of the park on March 18, 1967, Pirates of the Caribbean was originally considered to be a walk-through wax museum. At least, that was Walt's initial idea. While a walkthrough attraction would have been fascinating to see, the idea was ultimately changed into a dark boat ride, which was all thanks to the success of two attractions at the 1964 World's Fair. With four attractions at the World's Fair in New York, Disney used this event not only to draw crowds on the East Coast, but also to test out new ideas for rides and shows, with a budget for these experiences backed by pavilion sponsors. Best of all, if the ideas worked, Disney could ship the ride or show back to Disneyland for guests to enjoy permanently at the park. One attraction that seemed to do particularly well was It's a Small World, a boat ride that would ultimately make its way to Anaheim. Visitors loved the message, the music, the colors, and the hundreds of dolls featured throughout this historic ride. For the purposes of park operations, the pavilion also gave the Imagineers the chance to test out a new style of attraction for the park, an indoor boat ride. By the time the World's Fair had concluded, the Imagineers realized that this kind of attraction would work perfectly at Disneyland, allowing for a large number of guests per hour and enabling them to control the pace at which guests would move through each show scene. In addition to It's a Small World, Another attraction that altered the course of history for Pirates of the Caribbean was the Carousel of Progress. This show, along with great moments with Mr. Lincoln, gave the Imagineers the chance to test out human-like audio-animatronic figures. Both experiences proved to Walt that this new technology could work on a grand scale for new attractions. As a result, Pirates of the Caribbean went from a walk-through wax museum to a float-through animatronic experience. While the new idea for this attraction was certainly an improvement upon its original concept, there was one small problem with upgrading the ride system. It would require more space. With the Wax Museum concept, the Imagineers only required a small building to make the attraction work. A boat ride system would move faster through any given show scene, which meant that each set would need to be larger for guests to understand and enjoy the story in each sequence. 
Unfortunately, New Orleans Square, which opened in 1966, was not built to accommodate this large of a show building, and the Disneyland Railroad was positioned right behind the original building footprint. To give you an idea of what the original show building would have been like, it occupies the space that now includes the existing Blue Bayou restaurant, the opening bayou scene, and the front entrance and exit of the attraction. If you can imagine the full length of the ride, you can probably envision how much additional space was needed. In fact, the Imagineers would need to more than double the square footage of the ride. The solution, as it turns out, added a new element to the experience that wasn't a part of It's a Small World, a waterfall. To get guests through a larger show space, the Imagineers decided to build a basement below the main level of the attraction. As the boats float toward the back of the building, they turn and descend down a small drop toward the lower level. They make another right turn and then drop again to the lowest point of the ride, ending up somewhere below the front entrance. From there, the track turns around towards the back of the building, meanders through a few show scenes, and moves through a tunnel below the Disneyland Railroad into a large show building built outside the berm of the park beyond the perimeter of the railroad track. Boats work their way through these larger-than-life show scenes and eventually make their way back under the Disneyland Railroad heading towards New Orleans Square. Once the boats clear the railroad, a lift system takes them back up to the main level of the attraction, where they pass by the front entrance of the building and unload passengers back at the same dock where they started, allowing new guests to board each boat. As it turns out, this solution would not only allow for guests to enjoy over 15 minutes of ride time, but also create a thrilling new element to the experience. Considering that this ride focuses on an intrepid and somewhat risky subject, sailing the high seas with a group of mischievous pirates, the two drops on the attraction add to the feeling of adventure. Not surprisingly, at least one drop can be found at every other version of this attraction around the world, at Walt Disney World, Disneyland Paris, Tokyo Disneyland, and Shanghai Disneyland. Unfortunately, there was another element to this experience that at first Walt thought might be a bit too thrilling, the subject matter. While the hesitation feels somewhat trivial today, it was a fair consideration back in the 1960s. After all, Walt wouldn't just be creating cartoon pirates like he did for Peter Pan. These would be lifelike figures that perhaps might be too frightening for children. Thankfully, one of Walt's nine old men, Mark Davis, was there to help Walt develop this attraction. Mark started his career at Disney in 1935, working on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and he ultimately became one of the first Imagineers to help develop Disneyland. When it came to the parks, Mark was famous for adding humor to attractions. He helped add humor to Jungle Cruise, creating hilarious show scenes that would make guests laugh on their journey. He also added humorous scenarios to the Haunted Mansion, turning an eerie experience into a family-friendly attraction full of ghoulish delight. With Pirates of the Caribbean, Mark was able to imbue the pirates with charm and wit, giving them an almost childlike sense of troublemaking. For example, one of the first town scenes features a group of pirates dunking the mare into a well to uncover the location of buried treasure. On the surface, this idea is a rather violent and frightening concept, especially to small children. But subtle changes to the tone of this sequence add just a little bit of humor. Most importantly, we don't really get the impression that the mayor's life is in danger, more so that he's just being aggravated. He isn't dunked into the well for more than a few seconds at a time, so we don't feel like he's going to drown, more so that the pirates are annoying him so that he'll give up the location of the treasure. In addition, the battle that takes place outside the town feels less like a violent fight and more like a giant game of battleship. Cannons are fired toward each opponent, but most end up sinking in the water and nobody is harmed on either side. Even the sword fight we see cast as shadows against the fort appears to be in a stalemate, and the fight could almost be seen as a sportsmanlike game of fencing that doesn't ha have the intent of harming, just winning the match. This subtle shift in tone can be found throughout the attraction, and it's all thanks to Mark Davis. Additionally, the overindulgence in rum referenced throughout the ride, the dialogue created by Imagineer Xavier Atencio, and of course the music featured in the attraction 
give us a slightly different impression about what's happening in the story. We don't really feel like the town is being violently ransacked and pillaged. It feels more like a large party that's gotten out of hand. Even with the town being on fire and local homes being robbed, the way in which the subject is conveyed is almost like a group of children were given free reign of a town, an unlimited quantity of sugar, and no adult supervision. The subtle reworking, which has a lot to do with the way Mark Davis drew the pirates in their initial concept work, makes the ride a bit more family-friendly. Still, there was one final concept that was necessary to make this ride a family-friendly attraction. The bad deeds could not go unpunished. That's why, at the end of the ride, we see that the pirates are in jail. Although the pirates were able to take over the town for a short period of time, in the end, the law won out. The townspeople were able to get the situation under control and punish the pirates for their bad deeds. In that sense, Pirates of the Caribbean's storyline follows a relatable, morally focused sequence, like a bunch of rowdy kids through a large party, broke some lamps, got into some trouble, and ultimately were caught red-handed by their parents and grounded for a week to think about what they had done. Suddenly, the subject matter fit in Disneyland, and Walt felt more confidence about the ride being built in the park. Another aspect of Pirates of the Caribbean that's rather fascinating is the dialogue featured throughout the ride. There are certainly some iconic lines referenced throughout the ride, but the attraction isn't necessarily told through a single narrative. Attractions like the Enchanted Tiki Room and Carousel of Progress are predictable. The story is told in the same way every single time, following a single sequence of dialogue. With Pirates of the Caribbean, the Imagineers created a new kind of attraction dialogue, one that Walt imagined would be more like a cocktail party. Guests would bounce from one conversation to the next, catching brief glimpses of what was being discussed, but not listening to a single conversation from beginning to end. And that's exactly what Walt advised to Exitensio, whom he tasked with writing the dialogue for this attraction. The way in which the script is written, guests still understand what's happening in each show scene, but they don't necessarily hear every aspect of what is being discussed in every sequence. Consequently, this also adds a novel element for guests who might experience the ride multiple times. Each time they ride it, there's a chance they might hear something new. While many of the pirates are played by various voice actors, there are a few noteworthy pirates worth discussing. First up is the original voice of the auctioneer. Although it's a different kind of character, the original voice was provided by Paul Fries, who later became the ghost host on The Haunted Mansion. Paul also cast his voice as the ominous pirate you hear traveling through a dark cave toward the pirate ship battle sequence. This particular narration was removed for the 2006 movie franchise refurbishment and reinstated in a follow-up 2018 refurbishment. Even Xavier Atencio can be heard in the attraction, as the voice of the talking skull and crossbones that you encounter just before the first drop. Another Haunted Mansion alumnus, Thurl Ravenscroft, lent his voice to the Pirates of the Caribbean as well, playing the voice of several singing pirates on the ride. In future versions of the attraction, prolific voice actor Dee Bradley Baker, who's famous for voicing countless animal characters, provided the voice for the talking parrot at the front entrance of the building, and Corey Burton, who voices many safety spiels across the Disney parks, provided the updated voice of the safety spiel at the docks. For the movie franchise refurbishments, which took place in 2006 and 2011, the original cast from the film lent their voices to their own characters, including Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow, Jeffrey Rush as Barbosa, Bill Nye as Davy Jones, and Ian McShane as Blackbeard. Meanwhile, the most recent refurbishment, a new voice character, Red, whose predecessor was a silent role, is voiced by Gray Griffin, who also plays countless animated roles in television, video games, and films. The music for Pirates of the Caribbean also presents a historic tale for the attraction. While the instrumental melody for the ride was composed by George Bruns, the lyrics for the title song, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life For Me, were written by someone who had never written a song before. Walt was famous for tapping into hidden talents amongst his animators and Imagineers. For Pirates of the Caribbean, Walt approached Imagineer Ex Atencio not just to pen the dialogue for the pirates, but also to write the theme song to the ride. Ex expressed some doubts at first, but Walt had him reach out to George Bruns to get started. The result, as it turns out, might be one of the most iconic Disney songs of all time. 
and the lyrics describe perhaps every potential misdeed a pirate might commit. Extort, pilfer, embezzle, maraud, kindle, char, pillage, kidnap, loot, and even hijack. But in the spirit of that childlike charm Mike Davis bestowed upon the pirates, Xavier wrote, I but were loved by our mommies and dads. The pirates might behave terribly, but there is perhaps some good in them after all. For anyone who has not yet experienced Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland, especially listeners who frequent Walt Disney World, perhaps it's worth discussing the scenes you experience on this attraction. After all, this ride is my favorite at Disneyland, and I frequently mention on social media how the Disneyland version, in my opinion, is superior to Magic Kingdoms in just about every way except for the queue. Entering the queue, guests head through a tunnel just across from the rivers of America and wind their way through a small courtyard using the left or right entrance. We then proceed up a ramp to the main level of New Orleans Square and enter the front of the building. Believe it or not, the original queue was quite different and would have guests simply line up in front of the building, with the indoor part of the queue being just a few hundred feet, just one room. This meant that the queue could really hold a relatively small number of guests, even with the attraction's ride capacity being somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 guests per hour, the popularity of the ride meant that the extended queue would often spill out into New Orleans Square and even Adventureland. Years later, the Imagineers decided to reroute the queue, creating a bypass bridge that would take guests for directly from Adventureland to New Orleans Square and routing the queue down to the river level, wrapping through a courtyard heading below the bridge toward the rivers of America. Once we enter the building, which marks the short indoor part of the queue, we see boats full of guests right in front of us rounding a 180 degree corner circling a pirate treasure map and the iconic talking parrot to head toward the docks. We follow the circumference of the track and soon approach the dark docks, which are dimly illuminated by flickering lanterns and are very reminiscent of an old Louisianan boathouse you might find along the bayou, which in the case of this attraction is labeled Lafitte's Landing. The name is a reference to French pirate Jean Lafitte, who fought to defend the United States in New Orleans in the War of 1812 and was instrumental to America's success. Lafitte and his brother had also set up a blacksmith shop as a front for pirate activity, so the fact that he was both a pirate and an American hero made it an appropriate title for this Louisiana boathouse. After boarding the boats, we sail down a dark bayou around the Blue Bayou restaurant as fireflies illuminate the night sky. According to a famous story, these fireflies were not originally a part of the attraction. But Walt approached a contractor building the show scene one day and asked what he thought of the set. The contractor told Walt that he grew up in the South and felt like there was something missing. Walt had him ride the attraction until he figured it out and ultimately the builder realized that the bayou was missing fireflies, which now seem like such a simple but important addition to the scene. As we sail through this ominously quiet bayou, we pass a few houseboats and hear a banjo slowly strumming along to Camp Town Races and Oh Susanna, while an old man gently rocks back and forth on a rocking chair on his front porch. Both of these songs are meant to give us a hint as to the time period we're in, the antebellum era in New Orleans, which took place between the War of 1812 and the Civil War. Moments later, we round a very dark corner under a brick archway. We suddenly approach a talking skull and crossbones warning us that it be too late to alter course. There will be plundering pirates lurking at every cove, and dead men tell no tales. Entering a pitch black tunnel, we cascade down a waterfall and enter a cave as we hear a group of pirates singing Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life For Me. We round a corner through the cave tunnel, which is illuminated with light blue hues, and approach a second waterfall, this one illuminated by blue set lighting overlooking a large cave structure. We cascade down the waterfall and circle a deserted island scene where a pilot skeleton with a sword in its chest is found pinned against a rock wall near a pair of shovels in the sand. Meanwhile, a flute and chimes version can be heard of Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life For Me. We continue forward and approach an opening in the cave, which overlooks a pirate shipwreck being steered by its skeleton helmsman through a turbulent thunderstorm. 
Turning back towards the inner parts of the cave, we pass a set of dead pirates playing a game of chess, and a dead pirate laying in a king-size bed with the word Captain's Quarters displayed at the front of the room. Moments later, we encounter the treasure room, as a pirate skeleton is found sitting on an enormous pile of gold and jewels. Savvy film fans might also recognize the famous treasure chest filled with Aztec gold from Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, sitting in the corner of the room, a tribute that was of course added with the film-focused refurbishment. Gliding past the treasure room, we enter a dark cave tunnel as the ominous voice of a pirate warns us, who knows when that evil curse will strike the greedy beholders of this bewitched treasure. Meanwhile, another wonders out loud if perhaps we know too much and warns us to proceed at our own risk. For several years, this tunnel featured a mist waterfall effect that would project Davy Jones and Blackbeard, but the effect was removed in 2018 and replaced with this original sequence. During this original version of the scene, we pass by a pirate sitting in a chair holding a treasure chest full of gold. As we pass by, a clever mirror trick, an old practical effect, transforms the pirate from a dead skeleton into a living pirate. It's very similar to the butterfly we see on Journey into Imagination with Figment over at Epcot. This transformation marks the point at which we exit the present era and travel back to a time when pirates ruled the high seas. We exit the tunnel and suddenly find ourselves in a misty port where a battle between a pirate ship called the Wicked Wench and a Spanish fortress is taking place. It's worth noting that this point of the ride is nearly seven minutes into the experience, less than halfway through the full attraction. By comparison, the Magic Kingdom version is seven minutes long in total, and we enter this same sequence at the fortress after just two minutes of ride time in Orlando. For the next few minutes, Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland follows a similar sequence to Walt Disney World's. Although there were a few subtle differences savvy Disney fans might notice when it comes to the design of the sets, many of which were created by Imagineer Claude Coates. For example, the Spanish Fortress in Disneyland's version seems to be even taller than the one at Walt Disney World, with menacing stone walls and towers ascending along the water as the moonlight illuminates extended fortress walls painted along the backdrop. Passing through the middle of the battle, cannon fire splashes into the water on both sides of the boat as the captains of each side shout threats and convey their resolve to their worthy opponents. In the original version of this scene, a generic pirate captain commanded the Wicked Wench, but since the 2006 film-focused refurbishment, the ship has been led by Captain Barbosa. We see orange light from a set of torches casting the shadows of a sword fight happening at a nearby tower and float into town. In the next scene, we find a group of pirates taking charge at the mayor's home nearby. One of the pirates in this scene can be found dunking the mare into a well, as the leader of the group interrogates the mare to ask the location of Captain Jack Sparrow. Several town leaders can be seen tied up nearby as well, showing at, at this point, pirates have taken control of the port. Ironically, while the pirates are focused on the mare, Jack Sparrow can be seen hiding behind a set of dresses on the outskirts of the group. Moments later, we enter the auction scene. In the original version, the pirate auctioneer could be found auctioning off a group of potential brides to the pirates across the water. In 2018, this scene was modernized and given a new auctioneer. The iconic redhead, who was designed by Mark Davis and sculpted by Blaine Gibson, was transformed from an auctioned bride into a commanding co-auctioneer named Red. In the new version, as the original auctioneer attempts to auction off hens, Red turns the conversation to auctioning off what she believes the pirates really want, rum. Passing under a bridge, we enter the next section of the town, where a cantina can be spotted up a set of stairs on the second level. Along both levels, we see a set of pirates being chased by various women in town, each one holding various kitchen utensils, pots, or pans to ward off the looting pirates. In the original version, the roles were reversed and the pirates could be seen chasing the women in the town, but this sequence was changed a couple of times. 
1997, the Imagineers updated the ride scene so that the pirates weren't chasing the women themselves, but the drinks and food that they were carrying, which were added in this version. With the 2006 refurbishment, the scene was changed again to its current iteration, having the women trying to chase the pirates away. Just outside the cantina at boat level, a jolly pirate can be seen chatting with a dog about how he found a key to the treasure room, referencing how Captain Jack Sparrow won't be able to set his eyes on the treasure without it. Just behind this pirate, we see Jack Sparrow popping his head up every few seconds from inside a barrel, then ducking down again to hide from the pirate. This was another scene that was changed in 1997 and 2006. Originally, the pirate could be seen holding a piece of a woman's dress, looking exhausted from chasing but not catching her, while the woman he was chasing could be seen hiding in the barrel behind him. In 1997, the woman was replaced by a cat carrying a fishbone in its mouth, and the pirate was given a turkey leg instead of fabric, turning his focus from chasing women to pursuing food like the other pirates. In 2006, this pirate was changed to his current iteration, focusing on the buried treasure that Jack Sparrow is after. Soon after, we float into the Burning Town sequence, where we see a gathering group of pirates singing Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me, many holding various treasures and goods that they've looted from the town. As we approach a stone bridge, we see off to our right that a drunken pirate has fallen asleep in a pile of mud alongside some happy pigs. There's an Easter egg to this pirate and Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, when Jack Sparrow wakes up Gibbs in a similar situation in Tortuga. Meanwhile, as we pass below the stone bridge, we come across a pirate that has become a bit of an attraction icon. Although this pirate doesn't have an official name, many recognize him by his signature pose as he holds a barrel of rum and swings his hairy leg off the end of the bridge as guests pass by underneath. When I interviewed Harriet Burns' granddaughter, Haley Clare, on Imagineer Podcast episode 56 from September 2019, Haley told me that this pirate was actually modeled after her grandmother's milkman, whom she greeted at the door one day and thought would make an excellent pirate. Harriet also had to place each one of those hairs in the pirate's leg by hand, which I could only imagine must have been a rather tedious work. Oh, and by the way, this pirate was also voiced by Imagineer Xavier Atencio. Passing under the bridge, we enter the town jail, and here we encounter another iconic scene. Several pirates have been arrested and are held captive in their prison cells. Nearby, a dog can be seen holding a set of keys in his mouth, no doubt the keys that can free the pirates. Focused on the dog, a few prisoners decide to whistle, gently encourage, and even hold out a large bone to get the dog to come closer. Of course, the dog shows some concerns and stays in place. The sequence is also featured in Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, when Jack Sparrow is held captive in a Port Royal prison cell. In the Magic Kingdom version, this is about where the ride comes to an end. But at Disneyland, the ride continues as the boats glide their way through the bottom of a burning structure. We hear the creaking sound of wood bearing too much weight and can see various wood panels being hollowed out by small flames. The effect is incredibly simple using some basic lighting, prop, and sound techniques, but the result is always quite convincing. Every time I pass through here, I feel like the structure might just collapse around me at any moment. Next, we encounter another disquieting sequence as we float through a small armory where we find a group of drunk pirates enjoying some target practice surrounded by barrels of gunpowder. On our left, one pirate is lying flat on his stomach on top of a cannon, which gently rocks up and down and back and forth as he shoots his gun to the other side of the room. In certain instances, the cannon points just above the boats passing by, giving us the impression that perhaps it might misfire in our direction at any moment. Simultaneously, two inebriated pirates on our right, who seem like they're about to tip over at any moment, are shooting their guns towards the left side of the room. To make matters worse, what appears to be a very heavy set of three gunpowder barrels are seen hanging precariously from a rope just a few feet above the boat and one of the pirates on the right is leaning on the wheel that controls the height of the barrels. To add to the scene, all the pirates are drunkenly singing Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me. 
Of course, we make it past this sequence and find ourselves at the base of the lift system that takes us back to the main level of New Orleans Square. As we begin our ascent, on our left we find Jack Sparrow sitting on a throne in the treasure room singing the attraction's theme song, a slightly smaller version of the room we see at the end of the Magic Kingdom version of the attraction. This part of the ride was not originally there on opening day, and instead the original version of the attraction featured a pair of pirates carrying a very heavy case of treasure up the side of the lift. Ascending up the waterfall at the end of the ride, we hear Davy Jones and Blackbeard offer a friendly word of caution should we choose to return. Of course, the Jack Sparrow, Davy Jones, and Blackbeard parts of the ride were later additions to the attraction. Approaching the front entrance of the building back on the main level, we circle a treasure map and the talking parrot as we glance outside to New Orleans Square and follow the queue back to the loading docks which loads and unloads two boats of guests at a time. We then make our way along the docks toward the exit of the building next to the Blue Bayou restaurant and find ourselves in the middle of Royal Street. While Pirates of the Caribbean was considered the last attraction that Walt Disney personally oversaw from beginning to end, he unfortunately didn't live long enough to see it open. Walt passed in December of 1966, and the attraction opened just a few months later in March of 1967. Still, it's great to know that the attraction was so closely directed by Walt, and it's one of the reasons I'm sure we see the continued success of this ride over 55 years later. Even though the attraction has changed over the years and isn't exactly the original version guests saw in 1967, this concept of transformation is one that Walt would have absolutely insisted upon had he been alive years later. After all, Walt even determined that Tomorrowland needed to be updated just a few years after the park opened, and he once said that, quote, times and conditions change so rapidly that we must keep our aim constantly focused on the future. Remember that he said this at a time when the world changed far slower than it does today. In the Imagineering story on Disney+, Plus, Disney legend and Imagineer Marty Sklar proclaims that Pirates of the Caribbean is, quote, the thing that we all measure ourselves against, no matter which park around the world we were doing, no matter what kind of attraction. Pirates of the Caribbean is no longer the most technologically advanced attraction, and it's one of the oldest at Disneyland, but it maintains a tremendous level of popularity decades later because of the fundamental aspects that make it timeless. The story, the characters, the movie sets, the music, and the sequencing. It might be nearly 60 years old, but Google reviews still have the attraction averaging 4.7 out of 5 stars, which is even more than Radiator Springs Racers and Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, putting it on par with groundbreaking attractions like Avatar Flight of Passage and Indiana Jones Adventure. Pirates of the Caribbean is no doubt one of the most classic attractions, inspiring an additional four versions across the world, each one unique, and a film franchise that has grossed $4.5 billion in box office sales worldwide. I think it's safe to say that the success of the ride has significantly returned the initial investment for the attraction in film, park ticket, and video game and merchandise sales. Pirates of the Caribbean is not only a beloved classic, but also my favorite attraction at Disneyland and it's one that I was fortunate enough to record on my most recent visit to Disneyland in September of 2022. So at this point, I'd love to take you with me for a binaural audio ride-through of the attraction. As usual, headphones or earbuds are the best way to completely immerse yourself in the audio experience, but listening on speakers in your car, at your desk, or on the go should still prove to be an enjoyable way to listen back to the ride. With that, Let's travel back to the antebellum era in New Orleans and enjoy Pirates of the Caribbean.
And with that, we close out episode 153 of the Imagineer podcast and our first for the year 2023. I wanted to kick off the new year with one of my favorite attractions. And as I mentioned, this is my favorite ride at Disneyland. And I hope after listening back to this episode, you appreciate the attraction as well. Of course, I do want to turn this conversation over to you and hear what you love most about Pirates of the Caribbean. And especially if you've been to the Disneyland version, what your favorite part of this ride might be. You could send me your answers and feedback as always in many different ways. The easiest is to just find us on social media, search for Imagine Your Podcast on your favorite social media app. I especially encourage you to join us on Instagram and also on Facebook, and in particular to join our Facebook group, which is the Imagination, also called the Imagine Your Podcast Disney Fan Community. We've been growing this community over the last year or so and have enjoyed many great conversations about the podcast and about all things Disney. It's also a great place to get some advice, ask some questions, share your love of all things Disney, and to do it in a positive, family-friendly community. Fortunately, there's not as many of those around these days, but we strongly moderate our community to make sure it is a safe and positive space for all of our members. So I do encourage you again to join us over in that Facebook group and to continue to enjoy the fun over on our Instagram and Facebook page as well. If you don't already subscribe to the show, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button no matter what podcast app you're listening to the show on. And if you have a moment to leave a rating in that app or a review, that goes a long way to help this community out in the two best places to rate and review the show. If you have the chance, even if you don't listen to the show directly in those communities, are Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those are the two largest podcast communities in the United States at this point. It helps to increase our relevance in those communities. And even just hitting the subscribe button truly goes a long way to help this show out as well. 
If you'd like to take your love of Imagineer podcast to the next level, definitely consider joining us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash Imagineer podcast. This community literally keeps the show on and the lights on for Imagineer podcast. I kid you not, this community would not exist. This podcast would not exist without the support of our Patreon members. And it's not just a way to donate to the show. It is a membership that you can start and cancel at any point and unlocks bonus content just for you. Things like bonus podcast episodes, streamable binaural audio that you can listen to on the go, and perhaps my favorite, access to a community of listeners who we share watch parties with together, which is so much fun. We do those every week. We also have weekly video calls that we get together and just chat about life and about Disney and anything else that might be happening. Just a great way to gather with some Disney friends and support the show at the same time. Of course, depending on when you're listening to the show, the perks that are available, the content, the terms and conditions are all subject to change. So the best way to see what is currently available to you is to head directly to patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you as always to all of our Patreon members. And if you're ready to book a trip to any Disney destination, in fact, any destination around the world, I especially encourage you, if you haven't taken the trip to Disneyland, if you are a Disney fan, call yourself a Disney fan, you have to go to Disneyland. It is one of my favorite places in the world. It's a pilgrimage for Disney fans, and it has incredible attractions like this, like the original Pirates of the Caribbean. I attempt to do my best to make it to Disneyland at least once every couple of years, just because it always offers something familiar but new and it is a wonderful place to be and can be done in just a couple of days so you can reach out to our friends long story short over at magical park vacations our official travel partner to learn more and to get a free quote their services as always are complimentary to you you can learn more about them over at magicalparkvacations.com and if you would like a little bit of extra support more of a vip treatment when it comes to planning your disney vacation i encourage you to work with our friends at wdw park planners which you can learn more about at wdwparkplanners.com they don't just book your vacation and help you decide on all those things regarding your budget and where to stay but they take that a step further they actually come up with a personalized day-by-day itinerary for you and your family. They take the time to learn what's most important to you. They take the time to learn a little bit more about your interests, how often you've been to the Disney parks, what type of experience you're looking for, and they come up with literally a personalized itinerary for your family day by day, many cases hour by hour, helping you to tackle the parks in the most efficient way possible and are available to you during your vacation. If you just want to text or email, if you have a question, they can even work with cast members directly on the app for you if anything comes up during your vacation. So they just alleviate a lot of stress, especially if you don't really know how to plan a Disney vacation very well, or if it's been a while, or you just want someone to take on all that work for you. So you can learn more about them at www.parkplanners.com and consider working with their in-person concierge tour service over at magicalparktours.com. Last but not least, I want to remind you, as I always do, to go after your hopes, your dreams, your goals, whatever those might be. Because we're talking about a subject like this original attraction that has constantly evolved and improved upon itself, think about yourself in the same way. What are ways that you can evolve, continue to improve, to learn, to grow? What are the ways that you can continue to build upon yourself in the new year and beyond? Remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. You know, I wrote a line for Walt Disney that he really liked and about Imagineering in the early 60s. And it was that Imagineering is the blending of creative imagination with technical know-how. And 
look around. This is the quintessential uh, attraction that uh, expressed that, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's been here since uh, 1967, and uh, it's a symphony of all the talents of Imagineering. Uh, these guys have been performing here all those years. It's like a big movie set. In fact, it became a great movie. It's the thing that we all measured ourselves against, no matter what park around the world we were doing, no matter what kind of attraction. This is so dynamic and such a great story that is developed by the characters and by the sequencing going through on the boat ride. When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing, the joy is never-ending, and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Contact Magical Park Vacations to book your Walt Disney World Resort vacation today. Call 585-662-3686 or visit MagicalParkVacations.com.